In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my executive producer, co-host, and oh my darling, oh my darling, oh my darling, Michael Graham. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond were you, were to Were you this not prepared one. for that? I didn't sing it because no. I didn't want it to be too weird. But, well, then I was thinking about singing it. I was like, okay, do I need to sing? And then I just lost it. So um, that was, I dropped the ball. We got to practice one. our improv. You just got to go with it, Mike. Follow your I know, instincts. I know. I thought we were getting good at this part too. So we're, I'm letting them down. It's okay. I threw you a little bit of a curveball because uh, I've never done a singing one. I was more, I was more uh, spoken word poetry, but yeah. it's okay. We'll get there. And, and we're going to be throwing them a curveball this time. We sure are. Because we're not going to be talking about anything particular as far as like news or anything like that up top here. Nope, we're going deeply personal. That's right. Because uh, this right? is our Valentine's Day episode, Mike. That's right. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I think this is coming out on the 11th. So Ryan and I decided, uh, we had a little conversation beforehand, and we decided we decided we are going to tell our proposal stories. Uh, we're both married, and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the loves of our lives and talk about how we proposed to them and got them to make a giant mistake with us. <laughs> well, right, because if, if they hadn't said yes, we wouldn't be here today doing That's this right. ridiculous uh, show that we're doing. That's, so, that's what I mean. They made the mistake, not it's us. It's their fault that this is happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to go first? Oh, no. I would love for you to go first. I'm going to feel much better if I go second. Okay. All right. So you got to you gotta like react and, and make me feel good about this and you know give me some hmms and ohs. Uh, that's my job, Mike. I, I'm, a, I'm okay. a, a verbal validator. All right. All right. So my wife's name is Brianna. And, <laughs> and she's amazing. And we've been married, well, it's we're coming up on four years now. And so about four years, we're almost there. Uh, so about four years ago, I, I co actually contacted her friends. So I'm a, you guys obviously probably know this by now, but I'm a pretty like outgoing personality, goofy guy. And I wanted to do something really public because I wanted to give her like this big display of affection and win her heart and all that kind of thing. So, and because you wanted a lot of attention. Oh, yeah, of course. Definitely. <laughs> I wanted everyone to say, look at that awesome dude. <laughs> and, and his awesome bride to be, of course. Well, yeah. But yeah, mostly I wanted, I wanted to make her cry, you know, and, and so we could both have that memory. Yeah. And what, where better to do that than in public? <laughs> Right. Uh, so I, I actually got a hold of her friend. So she she works at a she's an accountant and she works like downtown Kansas City area. And she works with two of her friends there. And I got a hold of both of them 
and I got them in on the scheme. So one of them used to jog around one of the city's famous fountains, which is also by like the city's main like high scale eatery area. And she did that on lunch break. So her role in this was she would go jogging on her lunch break and then feign a knee injury. Oh, that's right. (laughs) And then the other friend, and and by the way, thank you to both these friends. Uh, My life is so much better because of you guys as well. But the other friend was supposed to, you know, they were in the car together eating lunch with my wife and she was going to answer the phone and be like, oh no, we have to go pick her up. And so she got the phone call and, and brought her down and it worked out perfectly because Brianna walked up and she was laying on the ground <laughs> feigning a knee injury. And there I was in my, in my slacks and I had a, no, no tuxedo. Like a, well, I didn't have the, the suit jacket on. I had okay. the, the vest. All right. That's pretty and nice. A, and a tie. And she turned around and it, I did, I did that thing where I had the whole thing mapped out what I was going to say. Sure. But lost it. Yeah. That sounds about right. And just was like, oh, will you marry me? <laughs> so, and she said yes. And she said yes. Oh, That's mine. So, I love you, Brianna. Well, that's, that's very nice. And, Mike, when you um, first brought up this idea of talking about our, our proposal stories, you made the audacious assumption that mine would be much smaller and privater, uh, m- much more private. And, right. and Mike is, is getting to know me, obviously, much better because that is pretty accurate um i had the ring i had a lot of ideas uh, if if you know me you know i'm kind of like an idea man i i come up with a lot of different ways to do a thing but for whatever reason the summer that i was planning to propose like the ideas were not really coming together i wanted to do it you know oh. on, this, on this particular beach during fireworks like i thought that would be great and then the the ones the fireworks dates kept getting canceled or rescheduled or rained out or whatever and i had this deadline for some reason in my in my head why i set myself a deadline i don't know it was like the ring was burning a hole in my pocket because i'm not good at keeping secrets yeah it gets heavy yeah it so it really does (laughs) so uh this is sort of the embarrassing part of the story my deadline was my family and i um which i should say just the six of us not including jen were scheduled to go on a a week-long trip to italy which is like one of the, well, is the biggest trip my family has ever taken. Yeah. Yeah. Dying. Right. <laughs> so um, I set the deadline for myself that I wanted to do it before I left to go to Italy because, you know, if, just because of your uh, flying, it's like, who knows what's going to happen in Italy? I, I want to at least have professed my love for my, at the time, girlfriend. So on like a random, no, it wasn't random because I waited too long. This is the sad part of the story. <laughs> um, I, I proposed to my wife the night before I left for Italy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, hold on. It gets much, much worse than that. There's, there's a debate between Jen and I what restaurant we went to earlier in the evening because I, I was trying to do the like very low key, but then surprise later in the evening thing. So we either went to like a Ruby Tuesdays or a Five Guys <laughs> um on like a friday night in the summer we went out to dinner you know very casual low-key i had the ring in my pocket obviously the whole time we went home and then i did the sly like so my parents happened to live a couple blocks from the beach so i said oh hey why don't we go walk down to the beach we'll like you know just take a walk 
So she said, sure, you know, no problem. Great. We walked down to the beach. Uh, we sat on a lifeguard stand. It was beautiful moonlight. Um, I did have sort of like a little speech. And you nailed it. I, of course. I mean, that's the part I, I was very confident in. You're so in. good at, at that stuff. But Mike, so I proposed. She said yes. Yay, great. I was very grateful that she did. But then I, I got on a plane the next morning and I left. <laughs> oh, man. Not only did I leave... But Jen, being the amazing now wife and, and at the time girlfriend that she is, was house-sitting for my family. Oh, so she, oh man. And so I left, her, ring. I left her in my home, my parents' home, for a week. <laughs> Think, thinking about you. Thinking about me and the fact that I just proposed, and I left, as far as she knew, to like traverse across Italy. What a mental doing, move. Yeah, oh my God. I It's... <laughs> It's one of the few regrets I have. I don't know why I set this deadline for myself, but but I did. It, and, you know, she will tell you that it was a great proposal and she would never change it. But me being my anxious self, I there are things I might do differently when I uh, repropose someday. Yeah. So, Well, Ryan, let me give you a little bit of advice here before oh, please. we move on. Yes. I hear you say this a lot. Okay. Give yourself the same amount of room for those kind of errors that you would give to her. Okay, Mike. Okay, therapist Mike. <laughs> and so, speaking of marriages, we're about to talk about a couple who didn't make it that far, and we're doing eternal sunshine of the spotless mind today. So, let's do it. Before we all forget all about it. It was nice meeting you at all. Wait. What? I don't know. What Just do you wait. want, Joel? Just wait. I don't know. I want you to wait for Just a while. see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Now I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. Today on our Valentine's Day special, we are covering the 2004 film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, starring Jim Carrey as Joel and Kate Winslet as Clementine. Clementine, meet Joel. Joel, meet Clementine. Joel and Clementine meet in a usual way, but their connection is instant and intimate. Clementine is fierce, outspoken, and impulsive, while Joel is awkward, reserved, and cautious. They are two sides of the same coin. Almost inseparable from their first words spoken, they spend years creating beautiful and special moments together, each one placed in its own little file and stored away for safekeeping. But this isn't a fairy tale. Those warm moments turn into fiery confrontations, resentment, boredom, and neglect 
turn them into strangers, and soon Clementine makes a decision that she would soon forget. Using a technology that erases specific memories, Clementine and Joel choose to erase the memories of each other. Joel finds terrible regret in his mind as he loses his love and tries everything in his power to save what he has left of Clementine. It doesn't work. With both Joel and Clementine's memories of each other wiped clean, they meet in a usual way. But their connection is instant and intimate. Joel, meet Clementine. Clementine, meet Joel. Well, thank you for that eloquent synopsis, Mike. Well, it's absolutely no problem, Brian. But you they're, know that <laughs> they're getting better and better is what I'm trying to say. That was almost poetic. Well, I, I really appreciate that, actually. Um, I'm trying really hard. I know. And, and the, I listeners, really enjoy it, the listeners appreciate it. And, and I'm sure that they're definitely still not skipping over it because they already know what happens in the movie. They're definitely listening to it all the way through. I actually really enjoy doing it. It's becoming one of my favorite parts of this process. What you don't know is I actually wrote this as a poem first. Oh, and that was actually terrible. <laughs> so I redid it and that's what it ended up being. So I appreciate that. So here we are with Joel and Clementine. And it's funny, Mike, as I was as I'm watching this movie, there are obviously a lot of different moments that we'll talk about. But, you know, almost immediately when we start to see the breakdown of the relationship, I'm like, and that's where they should have started to see a couple's counselor. I don't know which one of them would have possibly suggested that maybe their friends more likely than anyone would have been like, you know, maybe you guys should talk to somebody, but there but was... their friends needed it too, though. Oh my God. There were a lot of, <laughs> there were a lot of relationship issues in this movie between them, their friends, the doctor and Kirsten Dunst. Oh man. There were so many issues. Yeah. And there was, there was a couple different ways we could have gone with this, but I mean, that was definitely the most glaring and I guess you kind of, you almost felt bad for him because you, 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 I liked them as characters so much. You really just didn't want those things to be happening. But yeah, as soon as you see them, you're just like, uh, they, they need some help. Well, it's clear that there's so much that's not being said that they need to either have said or have mediated or have moderated. They, they need to kind of open up the process, open up the communication that there, there's, there's so much going on, you know, whether it's their own um, back histories that we'll talk about, their various sort of reasons of, of uh, whether it be social anxiety or just relational anxiety, you know, they, they're both coming into it with baggage and we see how that affects them both sort of over time. Yeah, definitely have some baggage. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what, what is the baggage? I yeah, well, so like we know as we go through Joel's memories that he has this sort of extreme self-consciousness, you know, especially later on when he's hiding under the table, when they visit that four-year-old memory, um, that's like, okay, this is a kid who becomes a person that is almost a afraid to look anyone in the eye because of how they might judge him or how they might see him in a way that he doesn't want yeah. to be seen. And can I just say that like Jim Carrey nailed this? Oh yeah. Such a great character portrayal. And this is like the first, as far as I can remember, this is like the first movie I can remember Jim Carrey like really going super serious as far as I can remember and was this after Truman Show I feel like it because this is 2004 I feel like we need to look this up immediately <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but whether it is or not uh I think Ryan's looking it up right now but 
he he has this look, and this is the Joel, if we're thinking about the character, he has this look in his eye, and even Clementine mentions it. It's like this puppy dog, have mercy on me look. He just has this look in his eye, like he feels sorry for himself, but at the same time, you can tell he just feels alone in the world. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And obviously that he sort of feels saved by Clementine at some point, but mm-hmm. eventually he just feels alone in the relationship as well. But like you said, they need to, they almost need help immediately out of the gate in the movies from what you see. Well, yeah. And, and you can even see it in the initial formation of the relationship that even though he's sort of attracted to some of her extreme qualities, there's, there's this huge disparity with how they problem solve and how they communicate that it, it's just sort of destined to run into some, some barriers. And Truman show was 1998. So Jim, oh, had, man. Jim had been trying for a little while at this point, but he but was still a little goofy in that one, though. Uh, yeah, but that was obviously a dramatic role. But what we'll, we'll, we can debate uh, Jim's uh, character history later on, Mike. OK, All right. um, I, I Are think you teasing something there. I well, we'll see. We'll see what the what the listeners want. <laughs> but but I think, you know, we, we see these two characters. They have chemistry. Like, there's no question about that. And then they they sort of relationship gets built upon their their chemistry in some ways and their ability to form their own sort of unique brand of intimacy. But intimacy alone is not enough for a relationship to last. Yeah. He sees Clementine in, in some, probably in some ways as a way he would like to be with her sort of freedom and her um, just like ability to be herself in whatever way she chooses to define that and but it's also interesting and 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 i want to talk about this later mike are you familiar with the concept of the manic pixie dream girl absolutely not <laughs> oh man okay we need to talk about that because it's like a it's it's it's, it's, its own trope in um like these sorts of movies where these sort of free-spirited wild girl saves the anxious introspective male so if if you're familiar with this topic and maybe our listeners are you can really pick out movies where it's pretty consistent huh yeah i'm immediately trying to think of other movies that are that have that going on manic pixie dream girl if you google that phrase you will see a lot of examples of it but this is a great one because it's like you know joel is is basically the main character and this wild creative uh fiery woman just comes into his life and you know brings uh, a side out of him that we don't see until he's with her yeah because before he's like he says he's just kind of going about his day he says his life is really boring he just goes to work yep. and he just comes home and nothing really else happens so he he kind of clings to you know what she's what she has he does and and unfortunately as their relationship grows and changes there are these things that i think for both of them come from this place of probably of social anxiety where they don't really say how they really feel or how they're really feeling for various reasons and as a result, you know, these barriers start to come up in the relationship, whether it's whether or not they want to have kids or how they really feel about each other, things like drinking and their thoughts about, you know, alcohol consumption. So it progresses and progresses, and then it sort of stops progressing when these conversations aren't happening in a way that allows the relationship to continue to grow. So it's really fascinating for me because I've worked with couples like this where if you asked them, they would probably say they have pretty good communication. But then if you got them in front of a, a therapist or couples counselor, you would be able to start to break down the things that they actually have not really talked about at all. It's very easy. You were just talking about social anxiety. It's pretty easy right at the beginning to notice 
Joel's social anxiety. He says, like, why do I fall in love with every woman I see, but I, I can't talk to them? Which is one of the reasons why Clementine, she's the one that instigates everything. So it's easy for him to, to do this. But you were talking about social anxiety, and you had mentioned to me earlier that Clementine had that going on too. And like, I just did not see that. So yeah, social anxiety can present itself in a lot of different ways. And she could still have social anxiety, but the way that she copes with it is by being sort of attention seeking, you know, the different hair colors, which, um, you know, and again, there's a little bit of overanalyzing happening here because we don't, we don't know almost anything about Clementine. That's right, because you you mostly get to see everything from Joel's perspective. Right? Yeah, but but the things that we do see, we don't see her friends. We see, you know, she works in a Barnes and Noble. She in the times in which we do see her separate from, like she's by herself. So the the assumption of social anxiety on Clementine's part is that she doesn't have this like stable social circle. So the assumption is that there are similar things going on for her and similar reasons why she is essentially alone. And the sort of free-spirited stuff in some ways can be kind of a uh, a shield or armor. We think of it as a way of coping with the fact that really on the inside, and she does hint at this later on, is that she just has this sort of screwed up life. Like, I'm just a screwed up girl, she says on a couple occasions. So they go through this really rough period well their relationship progresses as a lot of relationships do and they get to the point where they're very comfortable with each other and for whatever reason like they just didn't they just like weren't okay with that like phase of their relationship and instead of the love strength strengthening through that comfortableness they began to resent each other and like verbally attack each other and cuss each other out and stuff like that, Clementine ends up leaving and getting her memory erased. I, I was wondering what you thought of the impulsiveness of like that decision. Now, obviously, the, there's the sci-fi aspect of erasing your memory, but I was wondering like what you thought that metaphor was of her just leaving and erasing him from her life and making that decision so quickly. Yeah, and it's and it's fascinating because you know if this technology really did exist, like how much would it be abused? And it seems like it probably would be abused a lot. But the impulsive nature—it's like because we can see it's impulsive because there was no even real official end to their relationship. They had a fight. You know, Clementine took herself and and walked out. But there was no conversation like I'm, I'm I don't never want to see you again. We're over. It was just sort of like Joel said some not so nice things. And she left. And then he had every intention of giving her a gift and, and apologizing on Valentine's Day, right before Valentine's Day. And by that time, her memory had already been erased. So she, oh, she made this impulsive decision to erase him from her memory and her life. It seemed like essentially because the things that he was saying to her really connected with the probably deep down negative thoughts that she already has about herself. You know, um, Clementine admits during the course of the relationship that she always kind of felt like she was ugly. And then in that uh, final argument, Joel says things along the lines of, I assume you slept with someone because you were drinking. That's the only way you can get people's attention. Something on the lines of that. Yes. Yeah. So it's this this really, really hurtful uh, statement on Joel's part. And he immediately starts trying to apologize and he doesn't know why he said that. It was just just came out. 
but it came out exactly because you said, because these resentments were building in this relationship that I really liked, liked it from the perspective of being a therapist, the scene where they're in the Chinese restaurant, which what seems like for the hundredth time or something, because Joel's obviously right. upset about it. And you, you hear him think as soon as she takes a drink of the beer, she's going to be drunk and stupid again. So he's having yeah. these very resentful thoughts about Clementine and her behavior without saying hardly anything. Well, he's not just resenting Clementine. He's resenting their relationship, too. Oh, like, absolutely. With himself in it. Yep. He says there, he says, are we really going to be the, the dining dead? Yes, he couldn't stand the idea that people would look at him and them and judge them that way. Yeah, so when, when these issues are happening in a relationship and they're not being discussed, it's it's really, it's like a ticking time bomb. Because it's like, when are people going to start saying things either that they have been feeling in secret and, and are finally going to say, or that their feelings are building, 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 and they're going to say something that they don't really mean, but that sort of represents what they're feeling, which is what Joel ultimately does. In a real relationship, if a couple was kind of going through what we see at the end of Clementine and Joel's relationship, is this when you would recommend like, hey, if you guys want to stick together, you know, you guys should probably like step in and see somebody. Would you recommend that for couples that aren't married or should they go sooner? Or do you think they should call it quits at this point? Like what should people be doing here? Yeah, it's a good question because when you look at the relationship and you take kind of kind of take a step back, I think it's a fair question to ask. Uh, are these two people good for each other? <laughs> and yeah. par part of that is, uh, I, I feel bad asking that or saying that because it's like, obviously they, they have the potential to be good for each other, but if they can't, for whatever reason, for their own back story, their own back trauma, if they can't express their feelings in a, a healthy way with each other, then the relationship is just either going to continually to have this sort of cycle or it's just going to end as sort of it ultimately did. Although I guess they were left with a little bit of hope at the end when they sort of reacquaint themselves with each other. But in terms of when a couple should seek couples counseling, for me, and, and you've heard me say similar things on this show before, Mike, there's no wrong time to kind of get a check-in on your relationship. Right. So you don't think a couple would have to be married? Yeah, I think it's... it's. So I'll, I'll be... Uh, I'll. Just tell you my own experience. I've seen couples who are just dating. I've seen couples who are married. I've seen couples who are divorced. So in that sense, there is no wrong time to seek counseling. It's just being able to identify what you would want to get out of counseling before entering into it. And that can be a very simple thing of like, we have a baby on the way and we're both sort of not sure if we're ready or we're not sure how we're going to split household responsibilities. We have a lot of anger, anxiety, or resentments building, and we need to work through this stuff. Great. Perfect opportunity then. Yeah. You know, we've been fighting a lot or we're worried about our, my parents or our kids. You know, it, it doesn't take much to be able to kind of work through some of those communications issues with a therapist. It doesn't have to be like a crisis point to start couples counseling. Yeah, because having a mediator can just make things a lot easier. That's right. Because yeah. it's so easy to get stuck in your own world. Absolutely. And I think being married makes this easy to see, you know? We yes. all get into these kind of situations where you you get stuck in your own world. And man, wouldn't it be great to have somebody sitting there going, not you're right or you're right, but let's all look at it this way. Yes. And actually, there's a really 
fascinating form of couples counseling called Imago, where the, the whole goal is to break down the communication between the two partners to the simplest form. So that might look like this. Um, let's say if you and I were in couples counseling, Mike, <laughs> we need it. I, w- I would say, you know, Mike, uh, I just feel like you're not keeping up your end of the bargain on our, our podcasting responsibilities. And then your job would be to literally say back to me, um, OK, Ryan, what I hear you saying is that I'm not holding up my end of the bargain on our podcasting responsibilities. <laughs> literally say it back to me. And then I would say, uh, yes, thank you for understanding me. And then I would take, I would say the next statement. And then at some point, the therapist would come in and say, okay, you know, Ryan, uh, do you feel that Mike has heard you? I would say yes. And then if there was anything else I wanted to say, I could add to that. Or we would then sort of swap turns. And it'd be your turn to express how you feel or how you are seeing the situation. Hmm. And broken down like that, you know, when you, when you break it down to that simplest, you know, statement and reflection... There's there's no opportunity for miscommunication. There's no opportunity for misunderstanding. It's just this is what's happening. This is how we feel about it. And now where do we go? Yeah, it, that kind of makes me feel like the person that's supposed to be in the position of listening. So if they're kind of fighting it at first, if you keep going, like their barrier will break down to the point where eventually they really are listening. Is that yes. kind of how that works? Yeah, it's 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 to build those listening skills and reflection skills and to have the sort of emotional identification be really important. You know, we, we have these, these examples between um, Joel and Clementine and you very rarely see Joel say things like, I'm just worried about our relationship or I'm worried when you drink, um, which would be perfectly appropriate things to say, but he doesn't. He doesn't really identify or express his emotions in, in a, a clear way so that Clementine can understand what's going on for him. So that's what we would do in couples counseling is help them be really clear on how they're both feeling about each other and their relationship overall. Okay, okay. All right, so we have Joel who gets very angry that Clementine erases him from his memory and he does the same thing and erases her. However, Joel has a totally different reaction, at least from what we assume, and fights it. And so that's basically most of the movie is Joel in this, like, you know, making me cry. <laughs> yeah, trying to save his own memory. Yeah. Because he realizes he's made this huge mistake and he loves her. And whether or not the relationship survives, he doesn't want these memories to leave. Right. What's going What do you think is happening here with I Joel? Mean, like, why is he fighting so hard for these memories that he wanted to erase so badly? So, and it's a really powerful idea, right? The recognition that even if a relationship is over, that you don't want to lose the memory of that. And and that really spoke to me as someone who's worked with people who have been through trauma that, you know, and I, I've been in situations where I would say, you know, if I could take this away from you, like, would you want me to, to take it away? And some, for some people, obviously it's yes. But for some people it's, you know, no, I've learned about myself or I've gained a lot of strength or I've, you know, learned how to advocate or I've learned how to talk about how I feel as a result of those experiences, no matter how negative they were. So, you know, those memories in some way make us who we are. And Joel, I think through re-experiencing some of those memories, really liked what he saw when he was happy with Clementine. And he doesn't want to lose that, even if he has to lose her. It's kind of like looking back at an old picture. Sure. And and seeing like, yeah, but when times were good and saying, oh, yeah, I remember that. And God, I was... (laughs) 
I can really crying. relate to the idea of like going into a journal and be like, that's weird. Two years are missing. I was like, you know, watching that scene. I'm like, oh, my God, two years of my journal or my diary are just gone. Like that basically means that th- those years are gone. And, that yeah. you know, the, the idea of not being able to grow and continue to learn about your, your own experiences is kind of terrifying to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. That would be. Yeah, that would be terrifying. So we have, we and you have, know, the other part. Sorry, just to cut you off. Um, the the part where we see Joel's early memories, where he's trying to hide Clementine, were also really fascinating because it's like, okay, now we get to see some of the reasons Joel is the way he is, and it's like he gets to see. Oh, I think one at one point he says, um, "No one ever looks at me." I think yeah. when he was four. So it's like, okay, if no one ever looks at him, then we can now understand why. You know, as he says earlier on in the movie, I'm incapable of making eye contact with a woman I don't know. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we see how his mom treated yeah. him and we can understand maybe why some of these things developed. Yeah. And then and there's the scene and they're laying in the, the bed and she's telling him the story of when she was a little girl mm-hmm. with the doll that, and she's telling him the story about the doll with, that was ugly and how she was wishing the doll would be pretty because the doll was her. But the whole time she's just looking into his eyes yeah. and you can see like right when that's over, like he's just like so happy in that moment because mm-hmm. she's just like looking at him. Yeah. yeah. And he has that, that very genuine experience of on, uh, was it the river to what George river or something where they sit out on the frozen river. And he says, um, that Patrick then goes on to steal that. He's uh, just happy. He doesn't want to be anywhere else. And I think we never we- see Joel that way again. Can we keep Patrick out of this episode? <laughs> yes, Patrick, get out of here. Okay, so big question. Joel goes through and he fights these memories, and obviously he loses them. But right after he loses them, the very next day, Clementine and Joel somehow magnetically attract to each other and meet again magically, and is instantly resume their relationship but as but as if they had just met from the beginning so this this so this begs the question like what does their future look like starting all over again is this just going to like repeat the pattern or is especially because they have the tapes and they kind of have that glimpse of the future they get these tapes from the memory erasing place that show them what happens from the first time their memories are erased so now they have that glimpse into the future. So because they have that knowledge, are they going to repeat the same mistakes? So I, that's certainly my fear. I mean, because it's hard to imagine that things like Clementine wanting to be a mom and Joel not being sure if she would be a good mom, like that's not necessarily changing. I don't see any specific reason for those feelings to change. And that's a big obstacle in a relationship. So I think it's appropriate that the the movie kind of just ends with, and maybe this relationship goes on, maybe it doesn't, because I think that's what a lot of times these, let's just say, complicated relationships can look like, where it's these these cyclical things of we keep running up against this barrier and we don't know how to really address it or talk about it. So we can hope that with the benefit of hindsight that maybe they talk about these issues a little bit more emotionally, honestly, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their opinions about the facts are going to change. So it's, it's, um, it's like the perfect who knows what will happen next ending without us having to deal with the sort of messy possibilities. Right. Okay. One last question. If, if you ran into a couple that were in a repeating pattern 
and they they loved each other, but like they couldn't get past that brick wall, and they kept you know breaking up and getting back together, and it was just this never ending cycle. Would there be a point where you just said, "You may love each other, but this this is never going to work for you too"? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not my job to pass judgment on whether a couple should or should not stay together. My job. So I'll clarify two things here. If I am a in a couples counselor role, I am on the side of the relationship. Now that doesn't mean that I always advocate for the relationship to continue, but it just means I am working with both parties and not advocating for either individual's specific needs. Um, so it's about helping the relationship uh, grow or just to be as clear as possible on where it stands and how both parties are relating to where it stands. In some cases, I'm working just with an individual and bringing the partner in for a, let's say, temporary couples session. But in those cases, I'm not doing couples therapy as much as I am um, working with my patient to help them express their needs to their partner and helping their partner express their needs to my patient and helping those sort of um, that communication be as efficient and effective as possible. So there, there are different scenarios in which people would enter into couples counseling, but I, I, I never will outright say, you know, this relationship isn't going to last or isn't going to work because uh, it's it's my job to let the patient guide where things are going to go. I'm going to say it's because you're a believer in love. <laughs> and at that, uh, we have to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You are listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health in popular culture through two perspectives, a patient and a therapist. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television, for better or worse. All right, and we are back. All right, guys, and we are on to doing our little segment, Unpopular Opinions. If you haven't listened to the show before, we will do this every once in a while where Ryan's going to have a unpopular opinion about something, and most often, I'm going to be disagreeing with him, and we're going to debate about it, and one of us is going to come out the victor in it. So here we go with unpopular opinions. Unpopular So, Mike, in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I have this feeling that I'm gonna—I'm already upset with you, and I don't even know what it is. Yet. It's okay. It's okay. Um, we're gonna get through it, and by the end, you're you're gonna feel all nice and warm and fuzzy. I promise. All right. So, I feel like this movie is trying to make a statement about like sort of like soulmates that like oh like even though their memories were erased they still found each other and meet me in montauk and then they did and oh they're probably gonna leave happily ever after because they're just supposed to be together i don't think that's what it said but well I, the okay. the interpretation part is not the point right. um because and as you we see the scene they're running down the beach and it keeps replaying them running down the beach yeah 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 so All i mean right. there, there are a lot of ways to interpret like where this is going um but I, I feel like it, in some ways there's there's a statement being made about like somehow the power of love, even if we're just saying that, like the power of love is stronger than the power of memory. There's a statement being made is my point, Mike. Okay, okay. And, I can agree with that. 
And did we just is that the end of unpopular opinions? No, 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 no. You you agreed with me, so we can't stop there. Okay. Um, so <laughs> and people are going to be sad with this unpopular opinion, but I'm going to win them back. So um, let me start by saying that, like, I know people are not going to like this when I start, but I'm going to I'm going to get you back on my side by the end. So it reminded me of this opinion that I've held for I don't know how long, but it's just it's just it's just what, how I feel. And that is that I don't believe in soulmates, Mike. So, so I mean, I I, there are, I, I don't know. And like sometimes we've done this and I and I really do agree with you. And then I just argue for the fun of it. But I am on the other side this time. So okay, and I want like, I'm gonna battle you. <laughs> That's fine. I want to preface it by saying I love my wife very much. Um, Jen, you are amazing. Um, and by me saying there's no such thing as soulmates doesn't mean you're any less amazing or I love you any less. Okay. Pop With psych that listeners, said, <laughs> pop psych listeners, look forward to a divorced Ryan next uh, week, or like at least a Jen rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, or at least a couched Ryan. <laughs> um. But so. I don't, and, and I have some reasoning. One of my reasons that I don't believe in soulmates is that if soulmates are are real, then by definition, don't they have to be uh, like universally real? And we can, I guess we can disagree with that or not. I don't know how you feel yet. But in other words, if soulmates exist for some people, that's not really fair. So if soulmate as a concept is real, then it must apply to everybody. And then how do we explain people that go through their life as single? Does that mean that they, you know, didn't find their soulmate or if they, they chose to to become a nun or a priest that they rejected their soulmate? Like, I just think there's a lot of problems with the concept. You just answered your own question. No, go, okay, go ahead. How did I answer my question? You just, those are the answers. They, A, they didn't find their soulmate or B, they rejected their soulmate or many of these other reasons, but yet there, everyone has a soulmate somewhere in the world and what soul I think what you are thinking soulmate means is not what an actual soulmate is. A soulmate, what that actually means is someone who is there isn't someone that's more perfect for you. Yeah, you there's someone out there that you could love as well, that you could fall in love with and have those same like chemical receptors activated and all that kind of stuff when you first meet them. But there's not gonna be another Brianna. If that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. And I would There's not. There's not going to be someone more more perfect for you than that one person. And and I'm and those and are I'm people not... that grow old with each other. <laughs> and I'm not saying this to disparage Brianna or, or any other couple that is very happy, but um I I believe that love is um, work in the sense that you have to work to make a relationship work. You make decisions, you make choices to uh, to change or adapt or to uh, support. And through those decisions and, and communications, that's how a relationship becomes as perfect as you are describing. A relationship does not start out from the beginning being as perfect as you describe. So what I'm saying is that you can, and a, a couple has the... Any couple has the opportunity to create exactly what you're talking about, Mike. Any couple has the the possibility of creating a relationship where they feel as perfect for one another no. as possible, as, as is humanly possible. Absolutely not. You can have and create an amazing relationship with somebody that you choose to do that with. I totally agree with that. However, 
a soulmate, you will never have to work for that. It will just be. You will meet them. It will be instant. And it will never be there. I mean, there may be a so little wait, by, bit of... By saying instant, are you saying like you, you believe in love at first sight? Absolutely. Okay. I, I fell in love with Brianna as soon as I saw her jeans. Okay. <laughs> you, you should probably use a different part of her, but um, jeans. She has is, these ripped jeans on. Okay, but, so you're saying like cool style, not like her actual clothes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I I proposed to Brianna in, in five months into our relationship. Wow, look at yeah. you. So, I mean, I knew when I knew. Okay, that's what I'm saying, and she knew too. Is the thing. Sure. There was no question about it. Sure. And I'm just saying, I'm but just saying. so, okay. So, and it's not just, this isn't just about me and Brianna. No, this I know. Is about, I gotcha. This is about every person out okay, there. Okay. So let me just give you one hypothetical since you, as you said, I answered my question before, right? Okay. Go. So for the single person who has chosen, uh, or, or didn't find their quote unquote soulmate, does that mean that their soulmate is out there and like that's the only person that's perfect for them so that the their soulmate also doesn't get to find their soulmate yes that's exactly what that means well see that's a flaw in your logic mike because that means if one person is choosing to become a a priest or or a a nun that means they're leaving their soulmate out there uh to to not find anyone no one ever said i'm not saying a soulmate is uh this thing that is created in the astral plane where you're supposed to connect on the planet Earth. Okay. A soulmate is just the, is your, is your other side person. of the coin. Okay. Is your perfect person. And there's it, only one just, of those is what you're saying. And there's only one. It's like the Highlander. But right, but what I'm saying is that like, if that, if my perfect person that is, that is the perfect sense. person that would fit for me decided to become a nun... That means that I'm never going to have the opportunity to meet or marry the perfect person for me. But that doesn't mean you can't be happy. And it doesn't wow. mean you'll ever know that. Wow. Okay. Well, I, listen, if, if you're sticking to that, that, that makes me very sad for people who, whose perfect person has decided to take a life of celibacy for whatever reason. Um, Wow. Well, listen, if I, I'm not conceding that because for, for my view, quote unquote, okay. uh, soulmate. Give me one more. Give me one more. Go. Give me a one more line for your defense, because I'm going to admit that you have me on the ropes. I'm just yelling okay. really loudly. OK, I appreciate that. So I think my perspective is a little bit more charitable as well, because, you know, whether there's a perfect person for you or not. Love is a choice that we make every day that even when a relationship is going through fights or conflicts like we saw with um, Clementine and Joel, if they still choose to work on their relationship and if they still choose to uh, improve their communication and to to work through the issues and questions about their future, their relationship can become perfect even if they were not soulmates, even if they're not soulmates. It becomes, it creates an opportunity for anyone to have a relationship that's going to make themselves as happy as they could be. Okay. What if on this one, we said this, soulmates don't exist as far as where you could, there's only one on this planet that exists and that's the only one that you can ever meet. However, you can create soulmates together. And in that sense, 
you can be soulmates with whoever that you work towards that goal with. So you can you can create a soulmate level relationship. Yes. Okay, I'm on board with that. All we, right. we we can we can agree on that new definition of soulmates. So this is a neutral. We we tied. Yeah, I'm okay with that. All right. We still need a mediator for these. Uh, we we do. Listen, if you, if if you would like to uh, mediate or moderate our our debates, <laughs> oh, yeah, moderate. Please let us know, um, because mediate. otherwise we're just gonna keep having to decide or or concede to one another, <laughs> and obviously we could keep talking forever. So um, I have no idea how you decided to do a podcast with me. <laughs> mediate. Um, yeah, that's okay. We 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 still we're still making it work, Mike. We're on episode nineteen. That's says what Ugh. top one percent of all podcasts or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, well, if we make it to the 25, if we make okay. it to episode 25, it's 1%, something like that, of all podcasts that ever start, like, make it to episode 25. All right, so um, I'm, I'll, I'll commit with you up until, I'll, I'll commit with you for another, whatever's that, two months. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll make the I decision. I two years when we started. I know, well, and, and I will choose to love this podcast with you every, every week. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, guys, oh, so... We have to do our ratings now. If you have not listened to the show before, every week, Ryan rates on a scale of one to somethings on the scale of accuracy of whatever it is we're covering that week. And then I rate on the scale of one to five of awesomeness of how much I liked something. Uh, Ryan, what are we looking at this week? What's your thing? So I had a hard time picking a thing. Um, you know, I, I like just the idea of the uh, little potato like figurines that Clementine creates. We didn't they didn't get a lot of airtime. It's like abstract. It is. It's a little it's a little abstract. So as a result, I will just say um, five pieces of memorabilia because they, each <laughs> character had to pick out things that reminded them of a person and then go to that memory. And that was just very evocative for me. OK. You could have done five rays of sunshine. Yeah, that's not bad. I was trying to remember what was the name of the like ultra orange uh, hair dye that Clementine. Was oh, uh, Agent to name. Orange. Thank you. Okay, so out of five Agent Oranges, that's very okay. evocative. <laughs> you know, Mike, I I give this movie a four because it's a relationship in in a very real relationship in a lot of ways the only thing that kind of holds me back from it is like the weird sci-fi stuff although i i do honestly wonder if we're ever going to be capable of this technology and what that would do for people but uh. that being said this is a a very real relationship in the sense that both people come in with their own baggage and that baggage causes them to build resentments and 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 perspectives on one another that that may be damaging to a relationship and and ultimately ends up being very damaging to the relationship. So um, from that perspective, uh, it's it's very reflective of what often goes wrong in a relationship and why people sometimes end up in couples counseling. So that's why I gave it a four. Awesome. Or not awesome, but okay. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, on the scale of one to five for awesomeness, I'm going to have to say it's a five. <laughs> That's Even right. with Patrick okay. in it? <laughs> okay, so Patrick. I mean, that that does like mm, almost push it down. But no, actually, with Patrick in it, it keeps it up, but it makes it more of a dynamic movie. This movie's amazing. It's it's such a it's a beautiful movie. It's uh, like I said, it's emotional. I every time I watch it, I cry. 
I did watch it after a breakup one time. <laughs> Ooh. Bad decision. Yeah, I bet. But it's it's just such a good reminder, you know, uh, of relationships and how you should cherish them. Even like not even just a a romantic relationship, but just everyone in your life. You know, I was thinking about my family and everybody, but my wife came home from work and I was, you know, watching a, a movie <laughs> or I was just got done. And I just, you know, she came in and I just made sure, you know, I kissed her a little extra long. And uh, so anything that that reminds me of that kind of stuff is going to get a five from me. So definitely. All right, guys. So that's going right, to well, be it. Well, Mike, hold Wait. on. Uh -oh. I want to. I want to send. I want to send um, both our, our our wives a happy Valentine's Day. I love you, Jen. Um, as I'm sure, Mike, if you would like to say anything to to Bree. Oh, Bree, you're the bomb. I love you. I went '90s there for you too, so you know. There you, what, go. you know I meant it. <laughs> but Mike, I, I I just wanted to end on this note, which is I love that we covered sort of this movie that touched on what intimacy is. And Mike, do you know what intimacy is? Uh, I know you're going to have some sort of like, like a uh, monk theory on this. So I'm going to guess intimacy is, uh, family. Um, I'm just going to pronounce it a little bit differently and then your mind's going to blow and then we can end the episode. Um, intimacy is in to me see. Oh, wow. Okay. And Ryan blows my mind as usual. All right, guys, we got to get out of here for the day. We got to thank Kevin McLeod, as usual, because he provides all of our music for the show. You can find him at incompetech.com. It's royalty-free music. If you need royalty-free music, that's where you can find him. And as usual, again, as usual, it's my favorite phrase. Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you, sir. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Okay, so on this Valentine's Day edition of Pop Psych 101, we talked about a relationship in need of some counseling. There are a couple of important takeaways I want anyone in a relationship to remember in the context of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. First of all, as I mentioned in the episode, even though Joel and Clementine do have a strong intimate bond, there is clearly intimacy lacking in one important area at times, and that is in their ability to communicate their thoughts and emotions honestly. If you have thoughts or feelings you are uncomfortable sharing with your partner, it is important to ask yourself why that is, so you can address any anxieties or building resentments you may have with them before they cause damage in the relationship. When relationships reach a conflict point like Joel and Clementine's does, it can be tempting for some people to just want to impulsively erase that person from their life and have a fresh start. But we learn from Joel and Clementine that erasing a person from your memory can have unintended consequences. Relationships like theirs absolutely benefit from couples counseling because both partners can get an opportunity to address their feelings in a safe, judgment-free zone. Couples counseling often feels like a last resort for some people, but it doesn't have to be. Building healthy communication skills and mutual support is a very realistic goal that any couple can benefit from if they're willing to give it a try. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at PopPsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is not only a podcast, but also a radio show. 
you can find us on the Real Life Radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.